Welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. We had something a bit different planned when we expected the Iron Squad to be announced much later in the week, but such was the Monday morning excitement. There's plenty to mull over in a Six Nations panel packed with Ulster points of perusal. The contract renewals then began on yesterday as well, so we'll discuss the first four of those and hope that there have been no more churned out between now and the by the time you're listening to this. With me to do all that, uh, nearly forgot, I still had to introduce us, our Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, how's it going? And Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hello there. The Ireland Six Nations squad then, first up. So from an Ulster perspective then, in were Ian Henderson, Rob Herring, Billy Burns, Stuart McCluskey and Tom O'Toole. That meant there was no place for Jacob Stockdale, who's unavailable with injury. Eric O'Sullivan didn't make it. And more controversially, uh, from an Ulster supporter's perspective, was that John Cooney, once again, the forgotten man, left out. Jonathan, it was less than a year ago. It's hard to really think of that now, that he was being talked about by Dublin media, even as potentially becoming Ireland's first choice. And now he's been left out of successive squads and just looks like he might never play an Irish game again. Where does this leave him? And just how has that changed so quickly? Well, I don't think it was a surprise. Like, I think an awful lot of people were surprised, but he's been playing very well for Ulster over the last couple of months. But his form for Ulster doesn't seem to matter in terms of international recognition anyway. So it's not like anything I think was going to change Farrell's mind or indeed going back further was going to change Schmidt's mind. It's evident that the coaches just don't favour him, regardless of how well thought of or how well he's playing up here. So, you know, where does it leave him? In terms of who's been selected over the last couple of months, he might be fifth or sixth choice out of really eight Irish qualified scrum halves that are regularly getting time in the Pro 14 in Champions Cup. So it's evidently nothing to do with his form. Like, I don't think he can play his way back in at this stage. It's to do, to do with other factors, obviously. So, Michael, if you're John Cooney now, is it just at the stage where you're more or less just forgetting about Ireland and uh, and then moving on, just concentrating Ulster, having to, to live with this fact? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think John will have realised by now that it's not, uh, oh, to sort of paraphrase Darren Cave again, his face doesn't fit. It's not working for him and it's not happening for him. He's turning 31 this year. Clearly, he's not going to, and I think we all have to realise this and move on, he isn't going to get in by the looks of things. Uh, Farrell has given a very, very sort of brief nod to some emerging new talent and Tom O'Toole and Craig Casey has got in uh, as the third scrum half to the squad, leaving out a whole raft of other players who might also, as long with John, have reckoned that, you know, their causes were were, were pretty decent. Um, you know, people like Luke McGrath, people like Kieran Marmion have been there before. They, they've been ignored um, as well. So I think we ought to draw a line under John's international career. If he gets in now, in some way or other, it, it looks like it will only be because he's last man standing. And that's just it. And, and and the notions that naturally we had a year ago that he was going to supplant Conor Murray and that John, you know, in a way, hardly the coming man, but the man who was going to occupy that shirt and, and get a, a, a run at it. They've, they've gone and I think they've gone for good. You know, that that's not a bad thing from an Ulster point of view. It means there'll be no disruption there and it means if he stays fit, he plays. Unless, of course, they do a Pro 14 final thing and, and, and drop him. But he should he should be there for Ulster now. And in the circumstances that we're in now, whatever way the Pro 14 is going to finish, having him here, having him playing, 
is a good thing for Ulster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, from a, a selfish Ulster point of view, it is uh, it is good news in a way. But you, you both mentioned there, you know, that his face doesn't fit, that there are other factors at play because presumably it's not a, a quality issue. Like I don't think anybody would seriously say John Cooney quality wise is Ireland's fifth or sixth best scrum half. So what are these other factors? Do we know what's the problem? Well, there, no, the only reason that I say that is because. Frankly, as you say there, if it was based on form alone, he'd have a lot more than 11 caps. Yeah. But, you know, it that can be nothing more than style or blending with what the style the coach wants. Like, I know Danny Kerr has voiced the opinion that he sees Cooney as a similar scrum half to himself and Andy Farrell didn't fancy him. You know, so it can be something as simple as that. Looking at Casey, Casey is obviously one for the future. We know he's been in training with Ireland before uncapped but I think when Balakum was called in last year and they did that sort of apprentice thing that you know England and the All Blacks do he was included in that so he's obviously somebody that they want to get involved in the future and it's you know I guess as I think it was Alan Quinlan was saying last week you know if Connor Murray's still going to be your first choice scrum half which he is like he's probably playing as well as he has done in the last couple of years now already had a decent game again on Saturday night against Leinster then it doesn't make an awful lot of sense to have Cooney as you know his understudy as it were because of the same age mm-hmm. like there's less tread on the tires with Cooney I suppose because he hasn't he didn't play as much rugby early in his career but equally he's not going to take over from Conor Murray when Conor Murray retires if Conor Murray's going to hold on onto that shirt until he retires in the way that you know we've seen with Sexton no. so like Casey for Munster and Ireland is viewed as the long term replacement so you're getting him in and getting some exposure to him but just to re-emphasize what I was saying before in answer to your question, like the reason that I'm saying it's other factors is not a knock on Cooney. It's just mm-hmm. purely the observation that on form, Cooney is not <laughs> as far down the pecking order as selections over the, not even the last year, over the last two years, three years would uh, have you believe. No, no, that's fair enough. And, and I suppose the, it's a fair point as well about Casey having uh, much more um, oil in the tank, as it were. And uh, if you're if you're the Ireland coach looking to the future now with, as you say, uh, an agent pair at uh, at halfback, you have to be looking to to a more long term future. And um, I suppose that's that's maybe what he's doing. Well, it's like it serves much more purpose to have Casey there learning, but likely holding tackle bags. If Farrell's decided, as he seems to have, that Murray's is number one and Gibson Parks is number two. Bear in mind, Gibson Park was on the bench for Leinster at the weekend behind Lit McGrath. And Lit McGrath's not on the Ireland squad either, having yeah. you know, went to the World Cup. Um, Kieran Marmion was in great form, as was his halfback partner Jack Hardy. Neither of those guys are in there. Like we talk about this all the time. Like the squad's not selected on form alone, never has been, despite everybody always calling for the fact that it should be. No international squad is picked solely on provincial form. Yeah. Okay. So when I when I put the tweet out this morning asking for questions, I included a little gif of John Cooney uh, because I knew he would be the biggest talking point. And some people seem to think that we had John on as a guest. So apologies to those people who will now be tuning in very disappointed uh, at uh, Michael and Jonathan, our, our guests. Well, uh, particularly apologies. me, because you're going to ask me this question. So there, yeah, <laughs> it'll. Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, 
so one of the questions that came in that was actually addressed to us rather than John himself, uh, came in from JW, who asks, uh, with John's omission from the latest Ireland squad, the rumours circulating of a possible move to a club in France, <laughs> is there any truth in that? And how long has he got left on his, uh, his Ulster contract? Uh, well, he's another year, which means that if somebody wanted to come in and poach him, if you like, now, they'd have to pay up that extra, that, that, that year. Um, uh, yeah, there are rumours floating around. I suppose that probably the genesis of these rumours would come from him being left out of the Pro 14 final, uh, which I think, you know, was, you know, everyone was taken aback uh, by that move by Dan McFarland. I we, we we don't we're not we don't know what he's we don't know what he's going to do. I mean, I think John will have probably realised before now uh, what the situation is with Ireland anyway. So you can leave that to the side. The question is, uh, is he happy with Ulster? And more pertinently, is somebody prepared to come in and throw money around to get him? Um, for a scrum half about to turn thirty one, I, I I don't we, we we don't know for sure, but I think the chances are, are higher in the current climate, that John will see out his contract at Ulster and will continue to play. But I, I, I guess these rumours won't necessarily go away. Rumours tend not to go away. And, and because John's contract isn't up, then, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that this this theory will, will still do the rounds and he, he might be looking to go. If he was looking to go, you could hardly blame him if he was basing it on his, on his international career, you know, but... Um, you know, another year to go. I don't think there are too many clubs out there are going to do the Marcel Cotsia type thing and come in and buy people out. Um, so the chances are that John will John will still be here. I think. I mean, like my understanding of it is, and this won't surprise anybody. So I don't think I'm like, you know, I don't think that I'm saying this is a big revelation. He wasn't particularly happy to be left out of the Pro 14 final. And if you put that piece of information with his, the piece of information of his Ireland selections or recent Ireland selections and then piece that together with the fact that a year with a year and a half left on his current contract he switched agents recently yeah you know you can put all those things together and paint a picture that maybe the idea crossed somebody's mind that this was a possibility but pretty much as Michael says I also think that it's very unlikely that you're going to find to not not because of John Kinney. I think it's going to be a very difficult time for rugby players looking for new clubs. Mm. Could see is a bit of an outlier because of the financial backing behind the Bulls and their obvious desire to make a real impact whenever they come into the European um, League. You know, I don't think that what we saw with Kutsia is the future. And I think the fact that Cooney has a year left. Now, we could be having this conversation in a year's time. Yeah. You know, when he's got six months left on his contract and then he really might try and, uh, you know, he really might fancy a crack at France by that stage of his career because that'll he'll be, what, 32 at that stage by the time his Ulster contract runs out. So he'll probably only get one more contract after that. But, you know, he's also spoke at length prior to the Pro 14 final situation. He spoke at length about seeing Ulster as home, that he's bought his house here, that he bristles at the idea of being called a Dubliner or a native Leinster player because he sees Ulster as home. Now, as a journalist, I would say that that's just because you don't want to say Cooney said 18 times in a row, but that's all 
neither here nor there. No, well, as you say, we'll, we'll probably revisit this in a year's time and uh, maybe it'll be a, a slightly different discussion, but who knows? So another man not uh, named in the squad was, of course, Jacob Stockdale, who was injured against Munster. Then the last we heard was he was touch and go against Leinster. And now he's out for a game that will be a month on from that Leinster game. So presumably that injury turned out to be worse than the first thought is this him out for the entirety of the six nations or is it the first two games or or what is it well the way that ireland announced their squad so normally ireland announced a squad for two weeks the first two weeks of the championship knowing that there's then a week's break and then one game and then another week's break so they normally announce essentially three squads for the six nation now obviously the most interest is generated by the first one and there's minimal changes really after that if you take all this what Ireland are saying at face value, then it sounds like it's going to be another bubble, essentially. So you're not going to have the same fluidity of movement between um, camps and people coming up and down the road and stuff. But again, not from like not from Ulster, but the understanding is that we think it's an MCL tweak. So, you know, it's already been, what, four weeks. So, you know, another four weeks would essentially not, not make it worth his while to be in the Six Nations, obviously, but you know, he would have then missed two months of rugby, need to play a game for Ulster, and by that time, the tournament's pretty much gone. So maybe unlikely that we, we see Jacob running out then <laughs> in the Six Nations. So something that uh, our colleague in Dublin wrote yesterday, Michael, Keane Tracy had written that it was a bad time for Jacob to be left out whenever his form hasn't been what it was and Ireland's other options in the back three are uh, the qualities there. So do you think there would there be a concern for Jacob longer term in terms of getting this uh, regular starting spot back after this? Well, it depends what way what way Farrell, Andy Farrell was seeing him fitting in to the back three. As we've seen and observed, there's been a quite a concerted push to make him into a test quality 15, which, you know, hasn't really worked, I think, quite the way that uh, might have been intended, but was being persisted with. This now presumably means, looking at it, that Hugo Keenan, the Leinster player, fits into 15 as he's regularly playing there, which, which means that Farrell doesn't really have to make a big call on what to do with Jacob there. Personally, I think... I don't know if Andy Farrell is going to continue persisting with it, but but Jacob Jacob's best position at that level is on the wing, and I think there's no doubt about that. Everyone, I don't think you get too many dissenters from that opinion. So really, it, in my in my opinion, the essence for Jacob going forward is can he get his wing position back? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so sure. I know Farrell was kind of stubbornly persisting with this, but I'm not so sure that it was definitely going to continue. And I mean, the wing situation, if he gets back, I think that's his best option. Because I think by that the stage he gets back, which we think it's probably not going to be this tournament, Ireland may well have found their 15 in the likes of Keenan. Um, and then he's battling clearly with the you know Keith Earls on one wing, James Lowe coming through, maybe Andrew Conway, you know, he's also in the squad. It's not going to be easy for him. But I still think that Farrell would favour his ability to finish his strength and his pace on one wing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Johnny agrees or not, but I, I'm not so sure that the, I'm not so sure the fullback experiment could really have gone on an awful lot longer because he just doesn't look that comfortable in certain situations. So well, I think with Keenan playing so well. Keaton plays fullback in a way that is never going to be as explosive as the way that Jacob could potentially play fullback. But he also 
not to compare him to one of Ireland's greatest ever fullbacks, but I'll do it anyway. In a Rob Carney vein, in that he doesn't make an awful lot of mistakes mm-hmm. that can be picked up by the uneducated eye, shall we say. Like Farrell might be looking at it, seeing something different, but if you're just watching the game in the way that 99% of the population watch games of rugby, he doesn't make these glaring errors that can lead to tries. But the thing with the wing position is as well, like people talk about Jacob's feelings an awful lot more than they talk about other people's feelings. But like I compare it to what happened at the weekend with Jordan Larmer. Like Jordan Larmer goes through the whole game, can't catch the ball, mm. but scores a try and come comes away in credit. Whereas, <laughs> you know, this isn't like an Ulster bias thing, but if Jacob did the same, if Jacob had that game, then people would have focused on the missed or the, the struggles early rather than the try that he scored. For whatever reason that is, that's just the narrative. Like, I wouldn't be overly concerned if I was Jacob that yeah. Larmer or Lowe or whomever is going to put down this marker that makes it unassailable for him to get his place back. Because as much as everyone zeroes in on what Jacob doesn't do, all of those players in the back three have things that they don't do. And in the way that Jordan Larmer's footwork is something that unique that he can provide, Ireland don't have anybody else that can do what Jacob can do, in my opinion, mm-hmm. either. Yeah, It's just that there's this weird focus around where the narrative lies with him. Yeah, okay. Like, I'd be, if I was him, I'd say it's a bad time because now I'm not going to, you know, I've got no chance to have a great tournament and go on the Lions. That would be a, a bigger yeah. concern of mine than the fact that at 24... You know, somebody's going to come in and he's never going to get his place back. If the Lions ever takes place, of course. <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. So we're with the guts of 20 minutes in here and we haven't talked about any players that actually have made it to the squad yet. So we better get on to that. That's always the way, though. Yeah. People, do, people just like the outrage if he doesn't yeah. make the squad. Yeah. <laughs> it says a lot about human nature. Um, Ian Anderson back in the squad. A little bit surprising, quicker than expected. I mean, the last I heard from him was that it was a, a bad injury, MCL as well, wasn't it? And um, that he was yeah, yeah. out until out until he was back, however long that would take. But uh, <laughs> I think it was maybe a little bit of a surprise to see him in there. Yeah, well, I think they said that in one of the sort of rare pieces of injury information, it said that this was the very earliest that he'd be back. As always with Anderson, you can assume that the very earliest that he'll be back is <laughs> when he'll be back, if not earlier. If anybody didn't listen to the interview that he did with Nyla Nett on uh, his podcast, it's well worth listening to, especially the section where he talks about injuries and basically how it's people like Oscar asking him when he's going to be back that inspires these <laughs> <laughs> Herculean feats of getting back so early because he just can't be arsed talking about it anymore. You have to respect that. <laughs> I do. I really do. <laughs> So obviously a, a boost for Ireland to have him in there, uh, especially as, uh, who was it recently that said he's the man that makes Ireland tick? Didn't somebody write that in their book? Uh, Sean O'Brien, yeah. O'Brien wrote that in his book, yeah. So uh, big praise. Tom O'Toole also included, deserved, Michael. Hopefully a chance of a, a, a debut at long last. <laughs> I don't know about deserved necessarily, but we do know that O'Toole's very much on uh, Farrell's radar yeah, as a coming man. But... He's not played a lot this season, and he's still behind Marty Moore at Ulster. They brought him in there, and it, it's it's looking a little bit worrying over the tight head prop situation with, with Tag Furlong, Andrew Porter, and then into Tom O'Toole. Now, Tag Furlong, we expect, uh, no, no doubt this comes out, maybe it's be totally wrong, but we expect that he's going to be very much involved for Leinster this weekend to get him a game because he, he hasn't played any rugby since last February. Now, 
he couldn't be right to play test rugby. So Andrew Porter, we assume, will start. And then what do they bench for long? If, if, if he's not quite right for the first game, then Tom O'Toole benches, which I would have thought would have been far too early in elevation mm. for a 22-year-old who hasn't got an awful lot of game time under his belt this season uh, due to injuries. So it is a bit surprising <laughs> that he's there. There were you know, other players that could have been there, which Farrell decided not to, uh, to go for. And on the loose head side, it's really the same. So it's good to see him there. And I do think that, you know, and he's always made no secret of the fact that he wants to play for Ireland. And I don't think there's any doubt that he he will play for Ireland. But I I don't know. I would have thought that that's, you know, you you put him in maybe against Italy or something like that on the bench. But if he's, if it turns out that he ends up benching in Cardiff, I I, I would be a little bit concerned. And also as well over on the uh, the loose head side, they've only picked two loose heads. So if anything happens to uh, either Keel Healy or Dave Kilcoyne, who's barely played either, he came back there uh, at the weekend off the bench for Munster against Leinster, then Porter may have to, it's been said, potentially shift to loose head, which again pushes Tom O'Toole up um, because they'd have to probably start either Furlong with O'Toole potentially on the bench. It, it is a bit of a strange kind of looking situation that he's gone for, ignoring John Ryan on the tight head side ignoring Ed Byrne on the loose head side. Also, Finlay Bealham. You know, we've talked about, you know, John Cooney being a bit peeved. Finlay Bealham mustn't be feeling very good about himself either. A tight head who's had a crack at loose head and has, has done what he can, but has now been completely left out. So, I mean, Tom is, sorry, as we said before, like Craig Casey, Tom is a player very much for the future and they've brought him in. But I would wonder just what they're going to do with them. The interesting thing about the way that this championship falls for Ireland, and again, if it all goes ahead as planned, is the caveat that's added to everything here. But Ireland play Italy in the middle fixture. So where we'd normally see players rested for that fixture, you probably don't want to do that. Because if you play on the 14th of February and then play Italy on, I think, the 27th of February, if you get rested for that Italy game, then you don't play from the 14th of February until the 14th of March because there's a, re- a down week anyway, either side of that Italy game. Yeah, no, it's an, an interesting point, one to look at. While we're on the props then, Eric O'Sullivan was also in with a chance of getting selected. Uh, didn't make it to him. Personally, I think the idea of only having two loose heads in your squad when you already have very recent examples of how wrong this can go, given that they ended up with Finley Bealham having to play loose head and their tight head having to go 80 minutes. We're talking two months ago this happened and it was born out of only having two loose heads in your squad so not having anyone capable or sorry, any recognised loose head, loose head specialist mm-hmm. as your 24th man. So to put yourself in this situation where it can happen again to me is an oddity. And at that point you're really looking between Byrne and O'Sullivan. Like I said in a piece I wrote Friday, Thursday, Friday last week, that people hadn't really been mentioning Kilcoin coming back to fitness and the effect that this was going to have on Farrell's selections because he was well in there as one of Ireland's better players in the Six Nations last year, this time last year, if you know what I mean, um, rather than the October-November finish, and provides what they want off the bench in terms of his ability to carry the ball, which Tom O'Toole does, which Ronan Kelleher does, if that's who they go with. You know, that's the archetypal back up front row, if you like, because they're all going to come on and be carriers. Eric, I think, is unlucky because he played so much so much for Ulster throughout the season, just through Jack McGrath's injuries. That <laughs> So there's another list said that you forget about Jack McGrath. Um, 
that I think Eric ended up rested completely for one of the Interpros and on the bench for the other, on the understanding that he probably needed a break. And then you have these two weeks that he was no doubt going to play in the European games and then didn't. So basically going back five weeks now, he's only had one substitute appearance Mm -hmm. just because of the way the player management went and then the postponement. So that's obviously not a great position to be in, but... To me, Kilcoyne was always going to get in once he was fit again. And Farrell, certainly, if we're to take the last two squads as an example, seems to think that he only needs two loose heads in a squad. So, or isn't impressed with the other loose heads enough to warrant a place going to a third loose head. Another one to keep an eye on. So, Michael, if Tom O'Toole could be getting some uh, game time early on, then Billy Burns, perhaps, as well, uh, named in there potentially as uh, as the direct backup to Johnny Sexton and with Sexton's niggling injury you, you just never know what might what might happen for Billy no you, you you don't I'm not sure if he's directly behind Sexton or not having said that but with Johnny Sexton's his breaking down which happens fairly frequently um the chances are very high that one of those two is going to get a start or perhaps more than one start um, so it's a question of what what uh, Farrell really wants to go with and at this stage Billy Burns you know, would I think Billy would be reasonably confident that he could really, you know, make make a very very strong claim to do that. But it depends what sort of game Andy Farrell's really looking for. As we know, Billy's very much attacking minded. You know, his his passing game is good. He releases players outside him. Is that what Farrell wants, either from his bench or or in a potential starter if Sexton's not able to do it? But certainly, Burn Billy Billy Burns can offer that in a way that I think Ross Byrne can't. Ross Byrne's a much more solid player, and um, so I don't know. It will depend. What Farrell, what Andy Farrell wants, as Johnny alluded to earlier, you want your front row players coming off the bench being able to carry. What do you do with your 10? Do you want someone to be closing a game out, playing it safe, or do you want someone to really attack the game line? It, it really depends on that. But one thing I think we can say almost definitively is Johnny Sexton is not going to get through the Six Nations. He went off on Saturday night. They're saying it's a hamstring issue or then a minor muscle issue, I think is what Leinster said. Yeah. We'll wait and see what happens with Johnny. I mean, he's. I think he's going to do press this week as, as, as the skipper, naturally enough. And he's bound to be coming under... You know, the questions yeah. are bound to come through. You know, are you fit? But a bit like Handy, actually. I wonder if he'll take that approach. Going, oh, God, you know, I just, <laughs> not, 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 just hate these questions. But I, I, I think um, Billy Burns can, can definitely add to his... I think he's only got three caps at the moment. But realistically, apart from himself who may well be a bench player or, or could start depending on Johnny Sexton. It's it's really Ian Henderson and Rob Herring. And 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 you know, Hendy may not even make the starting team. Depends really how how he goes in training and how fit he is. Remember he hasn't played in quite a while. And you didn't mention Stuart McCoskey there as a definite starter, Michael. That's a, a controversial No, I didn't. Um you know people, people are, naturally enough get very animated about John Cooney. But you have to feel for Stuart McCluskey. He's going down there again. He got his another cap I think it was only his fourth. fourth I can't yeah. quite remember against um, Georgia. And he's going down there. He plays one position, which is essentially 12. And all the other candidates in midfield, Robbie Henshaw, well, I, I don't know Gary Ringrose probably doesn't really play 12, does he? But, you know, we've got Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, Bundiaki and Chris Farrell. They're all ahead of him. So yeah. I, I, I just don't know. I, I really feel for him. I, I don't see him getting anything out of the Six Nations, quite honestly. And... Um, with the situation we assume with the bubbling, meaning that you can't come up if there's an Ulster game, 
that that's yeah. just horrendous. If that if that is the case, yeah, it could be a very frustrating time for Ulster fans once again with big Pool fourteen run of fixtures as we'll talk about in a minute. And um, Stuart McCluskey's sitting in an Ireland camp, and you haven't uh, you haven't seen his face in, in a month. But you will, we'll talk about those Pool fourteen fixtures now. I suppose as good a time as any. Jonathan, we have Glasgow in the nineteenth, the home to Ospreys twenty sixth, then. The big one, home to Leinster on Saturday, the 6th of March. Now, if I was organised, I would have had the Six Nations fixtures up as well. See, it's a break week, the 6th okay. of March. But as we've just been saying, that probably isn't that significant if, if these players are in a bubble and they're not going to be released back to Ulster or Leinster for that game anyway. Well, we did see McCluskey come back in the Autumn Nations Cup for one game which I guess could happen. Obviously, the Leinster players are going to be much more wrapped in cotton wool during those weeks because they're going to be frontliners. Or sorry, <laughs> obviously, all 17 of them can't be frontliners. But um, <laughs> I, like, like Michael says, you know, Gary Ringrose is Ireland's, for me anyway, Ireland's most important back coming into the, the year 2021. So he's going to be playing 13 and somebody else is going to be playing 12. Whichever one of Aki, Henshaw, McCluskey loses out probably isn't even on the bench. So if you take it that McCluskey's behind Farrell, then he's two injuries away from even making the squad. Just going off what the selection has been in previous windows. like So you may, you may well see McCluskey back, I would think, unless they just go for what Scotland have done, <laughs> did in the last window and say, no, nobody's been released. This is our camp and everybody's staying here but it was interesting I think in the Pro 14 release that they said yesterday that one of the reasons they've ditched the Monday fixtures by and large is to allow for um, international releases hmm. so it's certainly been factored in to those fixture schedulings mm-hmm. which mercifully has ended up with Ulster having a few Friday night games again. So I think this was something we possibly mentioned on last week's podcast, but as you both were talking about before we recorded today, and well, perhaps what could be considered the likely event that the Rainbow Cup doesn't go ahead. What does that mean for the Pro 14 schedule? Does that mean Michael a revert to the original plan? Could we see Ulster beating Leinster, everybody on a high, and then a couple of days later it's announced, oh no, wait, no, we're going back to the original plan. Or is this, now these fixtures are announced, is this set in stone? Well, uh, that is the million dollar question, isn't it, Gareth? We know there, there has been some, I wouldn't say discussion, but it has been written by certain people that and mentioned that they will revert back to you know finishing out the season and going into the more established way of playing off oh i, I we genuinely don't know i think as johnny actually mentioned that the, the, the release that they put out yesterday seemed to suggest that this was very much the only show in town but then they might say that anyway a decision clearly has to be made about whether this rain the rainbow cup will be played or will not be played and all the indicators are at the moment that it probably can't be played so then what do the pro 14 do <laughs> Do they just fill it out, or do they do they do they actually just go ahead now at the stage and stop in um, you know in in March? We we don't actually know. It was just a ble- It was such a relief to see the fixtures finally released that I think you know you might have might have kind of overlooked naturally enough just what uh, it may mean if there's no more rugby after the scheduled the one the Pro 14 final that we've been told about. That is very much TBC. But it would be very, very cruel if that were to happen. But you know, particularly if Ulster were doing quite well. I mean, looking at their fixture list, they, they really ought to do quite well here as well and, and, and quite possibly make it through, I think, to this final. 
But whatever happens, you know, the Pro 14 have gone to the trouble of doing this now. They're hardly going to tear it up, are they, in another two or three weeks? So perhaps this is what's going to happen. It's watch this space, really, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And as you say, with the games taking place over the, the Six Nations and Leinster having 62 players in the Ireland squad, it could, uh, it might just might look fairly promising for Ulster. I, do, I think I got sidetracked by the excitement of that Leinster game and didn't even finish the fixture list. So after that, Ulster are away to Dragons on the 13th of March and then a final game at home to a Zebra on the 19th of March. So... It is worth noting as well, just that if we assume that Europe's going to go the way that it's going to go in the sense that there'll be a last 16 in the Champions Cup, which will mean everybody qualifies for the Challenge Cup mm-hmm. knockouts as well, because they would need a last 16 as well. Yeah. Then I think I'm right in saying that every Pro 14 team would have a European fixture the week after. So it wouldn't be like you'd be finishing whatever that would be, the 20th of March, mm-hmm. because you would have at least one European fixture as well in April. Mm-hmm. And some of the teams would be going through those European fixtures right up to the end. So it would be far from ideal, but it wouldn't be like your season would end basically in line with the Six Nations if you weren't involved in the final, if you know what I mean. Yeah, if Ulster managed to get through a couple of games and lose Europe, then all, all of a sudden yeah, it's looking almost yeah. like a normal a normal end. Of yes, season. you'd have four, you'd have four more games, which yeah. now the breaks in between while the Premiership and Top Fourteen were playing off wouldn't be ideal, but it wouldn't be you know you wouldn't be starting your summer holidays when it's still like eight degrees outside. Hello, it's Gareth. In the future, since the podcast was recorded, Ulster have announced that Kieran Treadwell, Andy Warwick, John Andrew and Nathan Doak have signed new deals lasting until 2023. That match in the four that were announced on Monday. As you're now about to hear, recorded, remember, before that news broke, it's all positive for the podcast. Newly crowned co-hero. Back to myself in the past. So the other big news from yesterday, Monday then, was the four contracts that Ulster announced. Going by Johnny Petrie's tweet you were telling me about, Michael, it sounds like they're going to chuck out a few more before too long. So we'll try and get this podcast edited and out as soon as possible before they do that. So the ones that we have announced so far are Aaron Saxon, Robert Balakoon, Luke Marshall and uh, Alan O'Connor. We're, we're taking away for time, so we'll not take them all individually. But uh, any headline reaction there? No, I think Luke Marshall, because he's obviously out at the minute with a pretty bad knee injury. And mm-hmm. I know he talked the last time he had a bad knee injury about having sort of doubts of whether um, he'd be able to go on or um, even with his more recent hip injury. Like, he's always quite forthright. Look, you know, he'll, he'll not make a big deal of it or anything, but he'll tell you about these sort of doubts that he has had through periods of injury. So I thought for him to be committing to two more years and also be committing uh, to two more years of him themselves was a great sign mm-hmm. set against the backdrop of another fairly arduous period of rehab for him, which has been unfortunately near enough the past three years. Like he's had no luck at all, basically really under Dan McFarland at all. Yeah, good news though, and hopefully, hopefully we do see him back before too long. Predictably, then the questions in relation to this are uh, not about those four players at all, but about uh, the rest of the players that may be out of contract this summer and what's happening. So Matthew Potter asks after yesterday's contract news, what about the wider squad? I've lost track of where we're at. Is Louis Ludic out of contract at the end of the season? So we think. Well, Lulu is out of contract at the end of the season. And the list of players we have that are out of contract are Henderson, Rob Herring, Ian Treadwell, Albie Mathewson, Ian Madigan, Craig Gilroy, Matt Ballas, Angus Curtis, Ludic, 
and we think as well Sam Carter. Now, there may be more than that uh, because there are uh, a list of players who have been, uh, when their contract announced, it was announced as things like multi-year deal and things like this. So there are some that were not dead sure. Robert Balakoon was was on that list. And of course, his new deal was announced yesterday. Niall McDonald then asks, which players that are out of contract could you see being let go to trim the squad because of financial restrictions? To me, anyway, there's distinct different groups, if you like, within the hierarchy of a squad. So you've got your international players, which out of that list are Henderson and Herring. Those are the ones that if you're going to keep, then you need hire a few assistants to do so. So you can sort of take them out of Ulster's equation. You've got players like Kieran Treadwell who are regular squad contributors in that match day 23 that are not internationals and are coming into or in the peak of their careers. That's the group that you as a team need to keep. Mm-hmm. You've got the younger players like Balakun is the example of somebody that they obviously knew that they needed to get the deal done themselves. And then, and this is probably where it gets more interesting from a who's going to be released point of view, if you like, you've got older players, the veterans, if you like, that you know aren't going to get much better than they are now. And in fact, purely because of time and its effects are not going to be as good a player next season as they were last season. And then against the backdrop of a pandemic, you've got players that might be considered luxuries and those are going to be your NIQ spots. Now, we've already seen across Ireland, really, but primarily with Leinster, the belief that it's no longer a case of you need four NIQs and a project player. Now, obviously, there aren't project players anymore, but you know what I mean. Like, it's not a hard and fast rule that you get that many players and you're going to fill those spots regardless. Like, if you... If the situation comes up where you can sign somebody like Damien Delande, then by all means, you're probably going to be allowed to do it. But it's not going to be a case of you're encouraged to fill out your squad with NIQs that aren't necessarily going to be in your starting 15 or even in some cases, as we've seen, the 23. Now, I have every sympathy for these players because they've, through no fault of their own, are now (laughs) um, dealing with financial constraints placed on clubs that nobody could have seen coming and have upsticked and moved halfway across the world to do so. But it's going to be a very difficult time, I think, for players in Ireland, such as the NIQs that are at, that are at Ulster in terms of the contract negotiations. And then you've got like out of left field as well. You know, you mentioned Craig Gilroy being out of contract there. Like pre-pandemic, that's an absolute no-brainer. But if you look at somebody like Craig, like he's not been in the 23 that often really and you've seen an awful lot of young players getting those minutes probably prior to this season and certainly this time or at the start of last season you would have expected to go to him Mm -hmm. and so that's another sort of grouping of players that are in a more difficult position than they once would have thought they were and then you've got you know the likes of Madigan and Matthewson who are very much here for their experience as much as what they can give to the squad now. So those guys were brought in on one-year deals originally. So that's another sort of fascinating dynamic to it. I suppose the first part of call, what that would be from an Ulster perspective, not from an Ireland perspective, it's guys like Kieran Treadwell, I think, are the ones that there'll be the most um, emphasis on getting their deals sorted. But the other thing to remember as well is it's not like Ulster are suddenly dealing with less money in some sort of isolated incident. Every rugby club in the world has been affected by this. So while Ulster aren't going to be in a position to offer what they once were, the thing to remember is neither are are the teams in England. There was a time when players like that, Ulster knew that they had to pay them more 
because of the restrictions on NIQs to keep them from going to England. But how many teams in England are going to be looking to import, given all the uncertainties? Now, the CBC cash might make a difference to everyone, but given all the uncertainties about TV deals and not even knowing if when you're going to get fans back into the stadiums, all the teams in England are dealing with the same constraints. Yeah, and then you have the the Irish guys who you haven't really talked about. That probably fans will be a little bit more settled when the likes of Ian Henderson and Rob Herring's central contracts are announced, Michael. Yeah, definitely. Look, it, it's um, Johnny used the word the dynamics change. I was going to use dynamic. I can't now, so I'll, I'll think of someone else. But it's not a great time to have your contract up for all the reasons that Johnny's already alluded to. But Unfortunately, this is what happens, and quite a number of players have. In terms of the Irish players, yeah, you know that 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 will be done through the IRFU, and the likelihood is that Ian Henderson and, and very possibly Rob Herring will be involved in that. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I I can't see them not, if you know what I mean. And again, you know, if you were a player who was looking around, there isn't probably an awful lot out there now. Nobody is flush anymore. Nobody's splashing the cash. Unless, of course, you're, you know, as we alluded to earlier, the uh, the bulls and people like that who've got huge backing. So these are these are very difficult times with reduced money. You know, if you're out of contract, unfortunately, this year it's it, it's it's not great really for you. Um, and you just have to see what you can do. Though I was very glad to see Luke Marshall. I was really quite surprised <clears throat> that he did, you know, get the deal to continue on. It's a very good thing. I think he's 30 this year, and his injury profile is not great. And Ulster have, you know, decent midfield players coming through as well. So, I mean, that's a very encouraging thing that he's going to stay on. But the other, Johnny's alluded to, the other key man in that really is keeping Kieran Treadwell on board. And I don't know whether they'll keep Carter, Sam Carter or not. Clearly, Dan has liked playing him, liked what he brings to his matchday squad. But whatever happens, you certainly can't let both of those players go. No, like Carter's an interesting one because it's not like, for instance, when you're losing Marcel... And you can look 90 miles south and say, well, they're naming squads with Jack Conan and Josh van der Flyer on the bench and don't have Scott Penny or Dan Levy in their squad. You know, from an RFU perspective, surely it would make sense to send one of them up north. That's not the case with the locks, because as we've talked about, the depth isn't really there in any of the provinces. Like Leinster have struggled for locks. I know Devin Toner's out of contract, but like Leinster have struggled for locks. There isn't the same depth coming through in that position as there is <clears throat> elsewhere. Like Munster are well stocked, but not in the sense that they'd have enough depth to let anybody go. And then Connacht with Thornbury, Rue and Delan are well stocked. But again, not in the sense that they could afford to lose anybody because then they have the same problem. And as we talked about before, Locke isn't a position that Ulster themselves are well stocked in at their academy night. Um, Izzachuku played really well, has played really well for the A's, and I've been impressed with Conor McManaman too. But how close those guys are is another matter. The other thing worth pointing out, I think Scott Vardy is contracts up with Leinster as well, and I think he's talking about going home. So (laughs) there's another issue for them. Um, Would you be at all surprised if Ulster somehow tried to hold on to both of theirs? You yeah. probably wouldn't, but whether they can or not, I really genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's certainly going to be an interesting two weeks ahead as we hear more uh, of the, the contract news. And bear in mind then, as well as that list that we read out of players who, whose contracts are expiring this summer, you have the likes of Eric O'Sullivan, Michael Lowry and James Hume. Now, their first professional contracts were announced together in the same release. That was back in February 2019, and there was no date 
put on those. So we we don't know when they're in contract to. And then you have the likes of John Andrew, who the last we heard contract-wise was out of contract last summer, but he's still here. And there's never been anything said about a new contract. So it's it's hard to know a lot of these players. So if there are players uh, popping up, signing new deals, who, whose names aren't on that list or read out, don't be, be at all surprised at that. This is happening. You never had a contract announced. He was just like in this um, preseason training pictures one day, and then like I don't know three months later, he was he was actually away because he joined Newcastle in the middle of the season. Like I was just wondering, was Andrew Warwick on your list? Because I thought he might be out. Was he? Now, Andrew Warwick is on a list that I have seen on uh, the front oh, right. website to say that he is out of contract this summer, but I can't find any evidence of that for certain. So that's why I didn't put him on, on the list. Fair enough. Yeah. And so, Gareth Milosinovic will be as well. Sorry, Gareth Milosinovic will be out of contract. I think he was only two years. So there's another. You definitely keep Warwick. Yeah, Warwick has done exceptionally well after like, being out for so long. I think we're we're ready to elevate Andy Warwick to uh, yeah. our cult hero status of the pod. I don't, I don't know whose place he would be taking. I can't remember who our last one was, but no, his performances no. in the Christmas Enterprise have uh, have elevated in, him into the conversation. So he better be kept on then, or else the <laughs> podcast going on strike. Uh, one final question before we go very quickly, because the, the Australia team have been going so well. I know we talked about them at length last week, but we've got a couple of questions about them. Oh. So we, we may as well ask one. Stephen Crooks asks, why do you think there's been so little chat in the Irish media or podcasts about Australia's performance, in particular the, that recent one against Leinster? I don't mean to sound unkind, but most people don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> The vast majority of what media attention goes to is driven by how many people are going to read about it. And in an all-Ireland sense, an Ulster A side is very, very niche. Don't get me wrong. Like, we'll talk about it for half an hour. (laughs) And if you need that fix, we'll be here for you. (laughs) But looking for Irish national titles to devote much time to second string rugby in a week that they were building up to Lancery Monster just realistically isn't going to happen. Like, Mm. in a wider sense... The relationship between underage success and senior success is actually quite interesting. Like an Ulster under 20s team six or seven years ago swept the Interpros as well. No, sorry, this Ulster 18 didn't sweep the Interpros, but went undefeated, if you like, through their Interpro season. But like only Jacob Stockdale from that team is a current Ulster senior player. And the Leinster team that they beat has more Ulster players than the <laughs> Ulster team did. <laughs> so while it's all very encouraging, it's it's no precursor to future success, I guess. Although it's <laughs> more encouraging than getting hammered, but you know what I mean? Yeah, um, And, look and like- in a sort of general sense, age-grade rugby and A-grade rugby is only interesting to die-hard rugby fans. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to shift too many copies of newspapers. And that <clears> is why, yeah. my, in my opinion, you're not going to see too much coverage of it down south. And let's hope they don't, because then they're still in our USP and we have uh, we have nowhere left to go then. So uh, one final question is Arthur Jones asked, will there be any more uh, team fixtures between now and the game against Glasgow on February 19th? We don't think so. Kieran Campbell was asked by Jonathan himself and uh, don't think there's going to be any more in that time, mainly because the other provinces don't really need games as much as Leinster or as much as Ulster do. So here we are. We look forward to the February 19th anyway. Between now and then, though, we will be back as usual on a weekly basis with the, the Six Nations kicking off. And I'm sure by the sound of things, we'll have plenty more Ulster contract news to discuss as well. But until then, from Michael Sadler, thank you very much for joining us, Michael. Thank you. Goodbye. 
and from John Bradley. Cheers, thank you. And myself, Gareth, thanks for listening.